Ladies and gentlemen, I am super excited to have my friend Cameron Long from Fairway Mortgage on the show today. So Cameron, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Thaddeus. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Uh, so we always start out with what's your work history? What are you doing currently? Uh, kind of dive into both those things and go from there. Okay, cool. Uh, so I have a little bit of a maybe different work history from other loan officers, but I started in actually in the restaurant industry for a very, very long time, um, since I was 14. And uh, worked there all throughout college, paid for college, didn't have any student loans. So uh, with the restaurant industry, that was, uh, it, it got me through it, it helped. Um, went to college for marketing, business, communications, you know, wanted to get into, uh, I particularly actually was very geared towards marketing. I wanted to be in marketing. And right out of college, I got a social media marketing job with a, uh, a smaller company that was just really getting, you know, getting off the ground. Um, at that time, social media was still pretty new. Like Pinterest just came out. Uh, it like, just started becoming popular, I should say. Um, and so my job was literally to scrub the internet and look for content, pictures, you know. Uh, quotes, whatever, any kind of content that would fit certain clients. Uh, like one client was like a, 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 a brand of honey. I don't remember what the, what the brand was, at the, or the name of the brand at the moment. But so I had to look on the internet and just scrub different content, different posts, have any, as much info as possible. And uh, I literally was just on different social media sites, eight, nine hours a day. And it was not at all what I expected marketing to be. <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I expected marketing to be a little closer to like Mad Men, you know? Because, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, that's, that's what we get our info from, right? Uh, it just wasn't what I wanted. So I went back to the restaurant industry because it wasn't great money and I didn't enjoy it. And restaurant is, it's good enough money and I was good at it, so whatever. Uh, ended up moving to Phoenix. And when you say the restaurant industry, what are we talking as far as is this just typical? Oh yeah, like where what, what I was doing in the restaurant? Yeah, or um, was it fine dining, just kind of more casual dining management? Oh, man, I, I, I've done a lot of different things. I've done catering companies that were only catering. I've done catering companies that were that also had like a, a lunch spot that I worked in. I, I worked at a uh, a diner for a few years. I worked in fine dining. Um, steakhouse uh, the one that I worked with the type of restaurant I should say that I worked with the longest was actually a breakfast restaurant you might have you might have heard of it uh, it's called snooze you, you probably oh, okay yeah um, but and that was when I when I moved here to Arizona that was how I got my foot in the door to actually move here and get an apartment and stuff like that but um, yeah so moved here 2015 Arizona because I wanted to marry my wife and she didn't want to leave Arizona so you know had to had to do what I had to do and um, <laughs> I worked two serving jobs actually at the time I worked at Snooze and Postino who are I don't know if you noticed but Postino and Snooze are usually right like right next to each other oh really they're really close to each other most of them uh, apparently that's because the owners like are friends or something I don't know um, and I found out because one day the owner of Postino actually had a key to our Snooze location which I did not know that was a thing. It was a little bit weird, but whatever. I might not be able to say that too much. Um, worked as a server for a long time. Uh, you know, saved for the wedding, got married, 
and then after that, uh, in 2016, I um, got promoted to manager, moved to Houston, opened some restaurants for Snooze as a manager. It was really fun, uh, except Houston's a hard place to live. Have you ever been to Houston? No, never. You ever been to Texas? Nope. Okay. So there's a lot of good places in Texas. Don't get me wrong. Like we, we visited Dallas and like uh, San Antonio, Austin, really cool places. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff to do in Dallas, a lot of fun stuff to do in San Antonio and in Austin. Houston was not like any of those cities. If you're from Houston, I'm sorry. Uh, it was hard for me. It was not, if, I'm from, I grew up in California. So Northern California. So Houston was very, very different. It was, it was just an entirely different place. Plus we were there during Hurricane Harvey, which, uh, it, you know, that, that was, it was a lot of flooding. The hurricane itself wasn't as bad as other hurricanes before it, but the flooding in particular was just really, really bad. One of the restaurants that I helped open, like fully did not get back off the ground very well at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it was a lot, a lot of businesses went under after Hurricane Harvey. Our apartment complex was, an, there was a full on moat around the entire complex. It was horrifying, it was really difficult. Uh, and, and that, it, with my wife who's grown up in Arizona her whole life, that was like the final straw. She's like, no, nah, I don't wanna live here anymore. <laughs> like, we, you need to figure out how to leave. So uh, I moved here to Arizona, um, started managing another snooze uh, uh, here in Phoenix. And uh, it just, if you work in restaurants, you know that the, the money is, especially as a manager, you work a lot of hours for what you get paid. Uh, and we were trying to have a, have a child, trying to start a family, and so um, I was just looking for something a little bit better. I went to college for business, so um, did a lot of finance classes, almost, almost transferred to accounting because I'm good with numbers, but I thought that was really boring, so <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, I have a, a family friend in, that works at Fairway in California. Um, and I reached out to him, just like, hey, I don't know anything about the lending world. I don't know anything about it. I would like to get my feet wet, see if, see if it makes sense for me. Uh, he put me, he set me up with uh, John Tobias and his brother, Ben Tobias, uh, who are, John Tobias is the regional manager in Arizona, the Phoenix area. Um, for Fairway, I think at the time it was just the Phoenix area, now it's now he has a lot more responsibility now. Uh, but this was back, this was in 2019, early 2019, when I started that conversation. And uh, I interviewed with Ben, we clicked off really well. He was happy to have me join the team. I was excited to do something new at the time. I did not know pretty much anything about mortgages, real estate. Uh, I was very, very green. Um, but I learned really quick and my numbers actually show that, so that's cool. Uh, got licensed and just, it, it, it just took off from there. It was uh, just, especially with the impending COVID, literally a year later, it just took off and, and we did really, really well. And the business learned a lot. I've dealt with a lot of situations. I don't have as much experience as some loan officers who've been doing this for 10 plus years, but as you might imagine, during COVID, you, you, you deal with a lot of random situations. So I yeah. dealt with a lot of fun stuff uh, that um, I feel has uh, given some pretty good experience, and I'm excited to uh, keep moving forward with it, obviously. Yeah, which I felt like just with the frenzy that we've seen recently, I know on my side, like when 
getting started in real estate, it was you'd have clients where you're writing 10 offers for before they accepted anything. So oh God, yeah. getting started, it was, all right, I got to write a contract and like you're nervous. And very quickly you realize like, oh, this is not that that's, bad just because yeah. you got so many reps in based oh, on like yeah. some like one client that's like, okay, we're gonna do a contract this week. Oh, it got declined because the seller had yes. 30, 30 offers. Then we're gonna do the same thing again next week. And so like in a month and a half, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got this, it's fine. And you're an expert all of a sudden. No, it's true though. When you would, you would deal with, uh, there were things coming up. There were certain bar, buyers situations that would come up that would just be like, this has never happened before. What? What? What is this? Yep. Uh, and it's it's random stuff. Like um, uh, guidelines are changing, obviously a lot. But you know, for me, being so new, it's something simple as oh, I'm getting a getting a gift from a friend, not a parent or a family member, right? It's a friend. It's like oh, okay. I don't I don't think we can do that. That friend has to have like a really invested interest in you buying a house. Well, I've known this person for like 20 years, so they're basically family. Okay, so let's prove that. I literally had to get Facebook posts and prove <laughs> that this buyer was friends with this person for a very long period of time and that they had a real friendship, not a fake friendship. Uh, I literally used Facebook posts to prove that to the underwriter. So like, that's a little, a little weird. You'd, you, I don't know. You wouldn't have to. You wouldn't think that you'd have to deal with that until you know until, until it comes up. So a lot of a lot of random situations did pop up uh, often, and it was it was really fun. It's, it's part of the one of the best parts about the job. That's hilarious. That's awesome. No, it, was, it was different. And then I've been to your office several times. Yeah, it seems like you guys have a pretty tight knit crew as far as there's. You guys seem to be handling a lot of business for the amount of people that you have in that office. Yeah, actually, uh, I mean, we so we are considered a small loan officer team. Uh, there are four of us. Um, there's uh, Ben Tobias, the head of our team, the Tobias group, uh, myself, uh, another loan officer named Katie, and then another loan officer named Alex. Um, <clears throat> Four licensed loan officers, I should say. We do have another member of our team that's a, uh, he's not a licensed loan officer, but he deals with a lot of uh, um, um, lead gen calls, uh, you know, if you could say cold calls. He does a lot of client relations uh, situations where uh, he particularly deals a lot of applications without, um, you know, to push forward to a loan officer and whatnot. Uh, so we, we do we do do a lot of business in, 2020, uh, our team did over, or just under 100 million. Just the and at that time it was just the three of us. It was myself, Ben, and Katie. And then 2021 we did uh, about 110 million. And it was just the three of us again. And then uh, this year, even still, we're on track to reach that 100 million. Even though the market's as crazy as it is, we're still doing really good business. It's just a very different business because in 2020, 2021 there was a lot of refinance. Uh, included in that instead of just purchases now we're very purchase heavy uh, but yeah we're, we're doing a lot of business it's it's um, it's a blessing for sure cool all right let's jump into the market what oh, yeah. has happened everyone wants to get into all of that fun stuff as far as things were so moving along at this aggressive clip people were bidding fifty thousand dollars plus over asking just, on houses hard flip Yep. yep. So, um, 
big part of that was purchase prices were just climbing and exponentially at, at an exponential rate they were climbing and didn't seem like it was going to stop up until probably january uh i think january was the first hint that it was going to at the very least slow down and then it was april uh where it literally just almost like a full-on switch yep uh where to the point where i have one buyer you know purchasing a contingent uh, contingent on their sale and they put their house on the market uh literally like days late to where now they're just not getting any attention on their on their sale right uh it's it it was it was a very aggressive switch and the switch a lot of people would say the switch is because the federal reserve increased their rates and that was the catalyst to that switch um there's there i think there's multiple factors to come in play so you can't just say one or the other or one thing happened and that's how it worked no i, I think that's kind of silly to say uh so what what would you say we've got the fed rate going up like how like why yeah. it switched mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i think the federal rate the, the fed increasing rates was a was is a huge factor interest rates increasing is also part of you know when the Fed increased rates to the banks that means banks are going to increase rates for us that's just the consumers that's just how it makes sense or how it works um, so interest rates were increasing pretty rapidly uh, from January to April and then even now uh, into July uh, down payment assistance disappearing that was a big a big factor it kind of took away a lot of first-time home buyers from the market and did that disappear mostly based on the purchase prices that were happening or was that based on something else the down payment assistance so down payment assistance programs are usually state funded they're okay. they're, they're uh, run at the state level um, and which is obviously it's still government backed um, as the market got more volatile different home or different down payment assistance programs started basically backing out their products so typically a down payment assistance products there is a three percent a four percent and a five percent and some even have zero percent which is just like a fixed rate where you're going through that home or that down payment assistance program uh, it, it happened where all of a sudden the 5% was not available anymore. It, there was no rate available. It was just said it was a not available product. And 4%, and the next thing you know, the 3% was no longer available. And it's like, oh, there's no down payment assistance. And was right that now. the state reacting to, hey, we think the market's getting a little too aggressive? Yeah, for it, their it was just too volatile. Level? It was just too volatile. It, okay. moved, it, moved, it moved too quickly. Uh, so with down payment as- assistance specifically, there, there's, there's money, there's money backed for the, this, right. you know, these products and these programs. Uh, if the interest rates are moving too quickly, that money backed is not enough for the loan that you did. So you're talking like if you close a loan, if I close the loan today, and you know, two weeks from now when the loan is sold on the secondary market or when that loan is now obtained by that servicer, uh, if the interest rate is quite a bit worse than all that money that was set aside for that loan is now not enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a really basic way to, to explain it. It's just there wasn't, it's too volatile for the money that was being used. Gotcha. So they, they just took it away. And the, the, um, 
it was you know suspended the the, the way that they they were describing it, it's like oh once the market calms down down payment assistance will be available again it is just now and you know three months four months later it is just now barely coming back uh and by I, by barely i mean i do mean barely where there is only there are a few down payment assistance programs in arizona there is the home plus program which is arizona whole and then there's home in five which is maricopa county specific and then there's a chinoa which uh the chinoa fund that is chinoa fund az some states do it some states don't um the only products that are available are three percent products uh and that's a three percent assistance three percent assistance yep. not three percent rate thank you uh, good correction now the rate for those products are close to seven percent uh in fact no i did actually write these down hold on um yeah so right now as of this morning when i looked home and five has a three percent assistance option at a seven and a quarter rate seven point two five percent home plus has a three percent FHA, um, the Home and Five was FHA as well. They don't have a conventional option. Home Plus has an FHA 3% assistance option at 7%. Home Plus also does does provide, now this, this was a, actually a big difference and this is new. Um, Home Plus is providing a non-forgivable option at a 5% assistance. What does that mean, non-forgivable? So, with down payment assistance, uh, what it is, it is referred to as a silent second lien. By silent, what that means, it is not a literal second lien, uh, or it is not a second lien where you make a second payment. You don't have two payments. You don't have two mortgage payments because the second lien is silent. It is literally just right on top of the first. Uh, it, the mortgage payment for the second is built into the first. You don't have gotcha. two mortgage okay. payments. Now, like a home equity line of credit, for example, that is a second lien on your property. That is a second payment. Right. It's a, it's a whole. It's a. There's two payments. Yep. Uh, for down payment assistance, it is a silent second lien. It's it, it's just the one payment. Uh, what the forgivable and non-forgivable means is forgivable. If you have a three-year, five-year, seven-year forgivable down payment assistance silent second. After that year, that forgivable term is uh, up, um, the, that lien disappears. It's gone. You're still paying the same amount on your monthly payment uh, as far as a down payment assistance loan goes, but the, but lien, the lien is no longer there. Gotcha. Now, what that actually means in, a, in an applicable sense for the consumer is if you go to sell your house or refinance your house before that forgivable period is up, you would have to pay back what was originally borrowed on that down payment assistance loan according to according to the rules of the loan. Right. Um, for example, if you did a three-year forgivable down payment assistance, you sold a house or refinanced in two years, you would pay back a, basically a third of what you borrowed for that down payment assistance loan. Because it is a, you are borrowing. It's not a grant. They did away with that years ago. Uh, it is a uh, borrowed loan, technically. Uh, now, non-forgivable is it does not disappear. It stays... So, 30-year term, if it's a 30, 15 if it's a 15. Exactly. Uh, I don't think they offer 15 for the non-forgivable. It's 30 only as far okay. as I know. Uh, but, yes, it is a full... It is the same term as your mortgage. It okay. is the same thing. So, that means if you do a non-forgivable, if you ever refinance or sell ever, you will have to pay that in full. You'll have to pay it back in full. 
uh, which that's interesting. Yes. So let's say you, just for the sake of numbers, let's say you borrow ten thousand dollars on your down payment assistance loan. Uh, it is. It's still a silent second, so you're not. You know, it's not a second payment. You have, but you got assistance of ten thousand dollars, right? That means if it's a non-forgivable, if you uh, sell the house in ten years, right? Which is very realistic. People sell houses. I mean, I think, I think five on to ten years. On is average, pretty, it's like I yeah. think five to seven. Five to seven. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it, it, exactly. So if you sell it within that five to seven years, you your net proceeds would basically be decreased by that ten thousand. You would have to pay that back. And it's not it, but it would be prorated by the time period you're and in, or non-forgivable. No? It's not prorated. So basically, they're saying we'll get you into the house, yes. but we want this money back on it's, the back. That side. money's coming right back. You said the interest rate on that one would be five. Uh, the interest the, the interest rates are higher for for those. Well, actually, FHA is six percent and conventional is seven percent. Um, but the down payment assistance amount is more. Okay. What they're offering right now, anyway, uh, it's a five percent assistance. So if if Basically, this is this is a product specifically for buyers that don't have another option, because uh, I would not recommend it unless they don't have another option. Right, it's uh, not free money that people are handing money. out that the state's handing out. No. Yeah, it's definitely not. No, it, it is money that you will pay back one day. Right, and the risk that people are afraid of is what if you know values decrease, where when you go pay that back, you don't have enough. That 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 is a fear that that. Uh, realistically probably won't happen in Arizona I don't think values are going to decrease that much um, like they did in 2008 that is an understandable fear back then but it, it, there's not a lot of reason to believe it'll happen going forward but I do understand why some people are like oh, I don't want a non-forgivable loan because of that that's totally understandable I would not recommend it unless it was pretty much an only option like you yep. need to buy or you really want to buy this is your option to do it yeah um, forgivable down payment assistance are obviously friendlier because it, that once that lien disappears, if you sell or refinance after that, it, you don't pay anything back. It's done. It, it's paid for. It's gone. You don't. You don't have two liens on your house. You know, so on and so forth. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then I know we discussed yesterday in preparation, kind of talking about. The different interest rates as far as in general outside of down payment assistance oh yeah um, stuff like that so and then i know that you had mentioned like hey the differences are pretty scary but at the same time i think we came to the conclusion as far as we're going to be a little transparent just with sure. everything that's happened because everyone in the news is going oh my gosh interest rates are up and everyone that you talk to can be like hey i i heard you're in the mortgage industry or you're in the real estate industry the but, and, and we know the interest rates have gone up but that's all they know that's all they know so well, it's true because that's all they're really telling you right <laughs> so as far as uh you went into the numbers a little bit and broke some things down to see like all right what does this actually mean so yeah let's go through it I like where that. are we at right now as far as if we're talking someone with a good credit uh solid credit score i think we were going off of five percent down looking at an average purchase price what are we looking at right now? Yeah, okay, so I'll reiterate the numbers. Um, let's do a $400,000 purchase price, 5% down. Um, let's do a conventional loan, because conventional is, I think, the easiest to uh, quantify and, and talk about. That's what, that's what 
the news talks about it, obviously. Uh, let's do a 700 credit score, which is a, it's a good credit score. I would say these days it's actually above average. Um, uh, but let's say we get to a 700 credit score, conventional financing, 5% down, $400,000 purchase price. Your principal and interest payment, this is not including insurance, taxes, mortgage insurance, whatever, would be $2,340 a month. And that's off of a 6.25% interest rate. Gotcha. 700 credit score, 5% down would get you a six six and a quarter interest rate. Okay. And then how does that compare to where we were about a year ago? Let's break it down the same way. $400,000 purchase price, 5% down, 700 credit score, conventional financing. The interest rate for that scenario or that buyer would actually be 3.125. And that's what everyone got used to in the last year as far as yeah. interest rates are at 3%, interest rates are at 3%. Interest rates are at 3%. Yeah. And what would that the monthly payment in that scenario would be 1000 or sorry the principal and interest would be $1630 a month so it's a difference of about $700 a month because the interest rate has basically doubled since last year right uh, and mind you is one of the one of the biggest things that I deal with especially working with I work with a lot of first time home buyers one of, the, one of the largest obstacles that I find um, when I'm working with first-time home buyers is a personal budget barrier, if, if you will, or obstacle, where uh, someone will say, I want, to, uh, I want a mortgage of 1600 a month, 1800 a month, 2000 a month even. Okay, uh, what kind of house do you want? Oh, I want a three-bedroom, you know, two-bathroom house in this area. All right, so you're left. You're at four hundred thousand, right? In this in this market, that's yeah. The average first time home buyer price point is about four hundred. Four twenty uh, is actually right there. Your monthly payment though at that point is if you after you include insurance, taxes, mortgage insurance because you're only putting five percent down in that scenario. Uh, well, I guess a first time home buyer would be putting potentially three percent down, but even still, mortgage insurance is going to be quite high. Uh, your monthly payment's almost twenty eight hundred bucks. Uh, maybe maybe twenty seven hundred if you're in a conservative area with lower taxes. That's that's an insane mortgage payment compared to last year. Right. You know when you're talking a sixteen thirty principal and interest mortgage payment last year after you add taxes and insurance you were maybe at two thousand dollars for a four hundred thousand dollar purchase price. Now you're at like twenty eight twenty seven hundred. That's a, that's 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 a lot. I mean, if you're only that's making nothing it, to sneeze at, that, that's yeah. quite a bit of money. You're, I mean, let's let's actually quantify it to income. Uh, if you're making, I mean, let's be real. To qualify for that, you would need to be making realistically potentially six thousand dollars a month, a gross income, right? Six thousand dollars a month of gross income. That's seventy-two thousand a year. And there's a lot of people that don't make seventy-two thousand a year, and that's the entry level. Right. That's the first time home buyer. Well, that that's that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Yep. So it's yeah, it's, it is. When I say scary, it, I mean to me, it's a little scary. There was not like when I bought my first house, I was not making seventy two thousand dollars a year. Right. I was. I think I was making as a restaurant manager like maybe fifty five, and then my wife was making fifty because she worked at ASU at the time. <clears throat> so we were. I mean, you know, the combined income that's over seventy two. That's good. But, but if you look at it just barely, 
uh, you're talking if you take $100,000 of combined income, uh, your gross monthly income is $8,300. Let's say your take home these days with taxes, maybe $5,700. If you still have a $2,700 payment. You're watching half of that go away, basically. It's, it's half. Yeah. That's literally half. And that's and I'm talking about $100,000 of combined income. Yep. Which is, it's definitely not unrealistic, but that's, that's, that's pretty decent. Yeah, right. especially for Arizona. Yeah, that's pretty decent in, for uh, Arizona. I did not look at the air, average area median income um, for Arizona, but uh, I think I could be wrong on this. But I thought last time I checked, it was in the sixties for for one person. Uh, so I'm trying to remember if it was one person or if it was the household. So I'd probably have to double check that one. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're still you're talking hundred thousand dollars of combined income for one household. You're you're spending at that point almost half, if not just above half, of your income, take home income on your mortgage payment. Yep. Uh, and then when you start factoring in, you know, Arizona utilities uh, and just general expenses, right? You, you, you're there's really not a lot of money left over for anything else. Yep. Which is going circling back. It's a, that's honestly one of the biggest problems with what's happening in the market is inflation and people don't have money to spend the market is suffering because people cannot go shopping i know it's silly but it's like people aren't able to spend money into the, into the economy that's why i don't know if uh, uh if you've been to like target recently um or even walmart but they have major major discounts because they're overstocking because people aren't buying uh which one of the results of this Federal Reserve rate increase will be jobs are going to get lost. Uh, what's going to happen is companies, businesses, will be able to, they won't be able to borrow as much money because of this rate increase from the Federal Reserve. Uh, and as they cannot borrow as much money, small businesses can't get started. Big businesses can't pay their people can't keep going if things start to get tough, which they are because of inflation, jobs will start to get lost. As jobs get lost in the bigger companies, maybe smaller companies will start to retain those jobs. And by, my small, by smaller companies, I, I guess not smaller companies, but quote unquote smaller jobs, like smaller viewed jobs. I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, lesser viewed jobs. Like entry level positions? Yeah, or? like entry level okay. uh, restaurant, you know, retail, whatever. A lot of those companies will will potentially retain workers that would not have wanted to work there previously. Right. Yep. Okay. Right. Like me when I got out of college, I wanted to work in marketing. Right. You know, like that will start to happen. Uh, now, how much of those, all these businesses across the country can retain all these jobs? I don't know. I don't know what that'll what that'll mean for the economy. But the increase of the Federal Reserve rate will result in some kind of uh, job loss. Okay, so then stepping off on a tangent real quickly, we were at 3.125 oh, last year. Um, well, I'm going to kind of keep heading us down that direction. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we've seen it basically double yeah. in a year. Yeah. Why did they increase it so much so quickly? Because it seemed overnight that we mm -hmm. went from 3 to 5%. And then if we're saying that, hey, there's going to be, like you said, it, it's a, it's 
this kind of domino effect that if yeah. there's not going to be borrowing from these different companies, there's obviously going to be exactly effects is, that yeah. flow from that. So why it happened so fast? Yes. Was it that things were out of control? Like on, on the housing side, we saw that it seemed like sellers were running away with the game and it was just oh, was it absolute lunacy. It was stupid. So it was, was 20, it, 50 offers per, per listing. Right. Stock ridiculous. market was rebounding like absolute madness. It oh, seemed yeah. like money was being thrown around like nothing. So was it basically yeah. just an overcorrection from, hey, we've got suppressed rates from the Federal Reserve and then instead of it being a gradual, hey, the market's actually clipping along faster than we thought, even though we're having this COVID thing at the same time, and it didn't yeah. create the recession that they thought. So when they decided, okay, we need to bring those rates back up, it just bounced right up. And now we're gonna see kind of a shakeup as far as, hey, it wasn't a gradual stair climb so that we could find equilibrium. It was not as gradual as it's supposed to be. Okay. No. Uh, that's what that's where some some mistakes or some misconception is normally inflation of this especially of this magnitude is very gradual it would take years years and years for some the, this kind of inflation to actually happen uh, but so is the Fed rate trying to slow down the inflation that we're seeing that's or? what the, that's what they're saying okay the reason the Fed rate increased so high so quickly uh, highest in decades the highest one change in decades is their reasoning is to battle the uncontrollable relentless inflation okay now i've also seen reports and, and heard that the federal reserve actually does not believe that it'll help inflation but then i don't i don't have an answer on why they're doing what they're doing but yeah i've, I've seen that i don't know that's a it's I don't know exactly how they're battling it, but that's what they're saying. They're saying they are battling inflate the high inflation with the higher rates. And they're saying we are going to battle it by, you know, charging businesses more to borrow money and so on and so forth. Uh, now, how did it happen so quickly? I mean, there's there's I think there's multiple multiple factors at play. When COVID hit, the Federal Reserve went to a zero percent, so banks could borrow, businesses could borrow money from banks without any like without any uh, repercussions it's just it's like give me more money it, it, prices were increased everywhere people were were spending money I mean you look at Amazon right I mean Amazon went from what it was to what it is like it, it you saw across the S&P 500 the I think the stock price jumped it was it was insane from when it hit its bottom it was over a hundred dollars that per share that you could it, buy it. It just, certain businesses made so much money from the pandemic, from people that were willing to spend money and had nothing to do. And it just, I think it just skyrocketed from there. The so inflation then, just kept going. But did, at that point, would the Federal Reserve be looking in reaction to, hey, we dropped things down to basically zero, we held it there for way too long. Now yes. there is a massive amount of debt in the marketplace, so that's why they need to slow down the amount of debt that we're seeing. That's the idea. Okay, that's so, the, that's the basic idea. Yeah. So in the financial theory of everything, it's we need to have a relative balance so that yes. all this debt doesn't 
become a house of cards that collapses all at once. So that's why the rate goes up, slow down borrowing so that this can get under control and then move on. That is the idea. Okay. That's the thought behind it. But will it work? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, 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 yeah, right. it's, it's the, the, okay, so home values I think is a really good uh, indication of even just what has been happening with inflation. I don't know if, you know, if everyone's been paying attention to just how much little things cost let's take something as simple as an apple like it has literally gone from uh one apple would be less than like 50 cents 49 cents two years ago and now it's a dollar 50. uh i don't quote me on that i don't know if those are actually well, i'm pretty sure a gallon of numbers, milk but like I mean, a gallon of milk was around two dollars and now i believe it's around 320. yeah if, this, and, th- and this is that sounds very Thaddeus's data shopping at fries <laughs> on a regular basis <laughs> So you can't fault it because it's my own. There you go. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, yeah, that sounds so minute, right? It but when like, you it take two dollars, when you take it into percentage, when uh, you take it into a percentage, and when you take it under millions of people are purchasing that difference yep. across the country, how much more money is being spent consistently? So here's here's the thing, though. When the Federal Reserve went to a zero percent rate, that ta- I mean, the way that that means is. Businesses don't need more money. They didn't need to raise their prices. Businesses did because we let them. <laughs> Not our fault. It is our fault. Whatever. I don't know. Businesses, they're greedy. Greedy businesses. This, this is how it works. I mean, that, that is, uh, it's, that's, one of, that's one of the, um, for lack of a better term, that is one of the factors of a capitalist country. Like, that's what's going to happen. You're going to have businesses that are, greedy and raise their prices when they see the opportunity and they did but they didn't decrease them and they just kept increasing and kept increasing and whether they needed to or not is irrelevant at that point people kept buying people kept spending money markets kept getting better and it was when uh things got more difficult and things got high enough to where people couldn't spend anymore which is basically like what happened like in January, right? Like things got so so high, especially with what happened uh, over overseas where gas started increasing a whole lot. Like there was, now there was more visible increases like gas, uh, like cars, uh, like mortgages that were visibly just getting way more difficult. Uh, then people stopped spending money and spending a lot less money. And yeah. that's when now the Federal Reserve is stepping in to help yeah which as far as you mentioned a lot of people were in it to try and make a larger profit margin on it my question would also be and i think i think it could be both as far as we saw a lot of people if it was goods or services um but more the goods as far as we were having trouble getting them it seemed like there oh, was, sure there was this lag in it's the way i guess i would describe it is Everything was on its way. COVID shut down, so we ran through what was left that was on its way. Sure. And then it was like a year later, everyone was like, where's all our stuff? <laughs> and yeah, it's yeah. like, well, you remember how we shut everybody yeah. down in manufacturing and distribution, all that stuff? It's like, well, now we're feeling that. So Because there's, no, exactly. there's a lag. Exactly. It, it's like toilet paper, yeah, we saw that go away because there was a run on it right away bam it's gone yes but everything else like we didn't have a run on appliances 
But right. all those people stopped. So a year later, that's when it happened. So same exactly. thing with the chips and like the cars. And I think there was a lot of ignorance to, okay, what is actually happening? Because there, people were just taking headline the, after headline. The news was not forthcoming with any of this. Right. Clearly. So I think on one side, it was like, hey, the housing market is perfect as far as we saw the inventory. The inventory right now, it's July 14th. So inventory is in the 12, uh, over 12,000 active homes in Maricopa County. Okay. And the, we saw it drop below 3,000 a couple times, but it hovered between that three and 4,000 over the last year and a half. The inventory was rough. Right, so with all of that, that's why we saw those huge increases in all the prices because there was a house I remember that I had a client bid on, there were 90 offers. 90. There were 93 offers, if I remember wow. correctly. So, but that's where to me it's that's like it, it's not just that people are like, oh my gosh, all these greedy home sellers. It's like yes and no. Exactly. Like, like well, okay. So I, I did. I do say greedy, but like, if you were a seller, you would try to get top dollar. And yeah. If it, you're getting 90 yeah. offers, you would take the best one. Right. So like, I, I think it was like this perfect uh, storm as far as as far as. Things got weird in the market at scale. Yes, and, and people were willing to pay and for it. And then it just kept going. And I think, like, I think on the personal side of things, everything was in this weird state of limbo for a moment. Yeah. And it seemed like I think personal finance shifted as well. Oh, sure. So with prices going up, like the one I look at is like Uber Eats and all the delivery stuff that you had. It's like, hey, now something that cost me like $6 for lunch is now $20 because I've got to pay the delivery guy, I've got to tip the delivery tip, guy. Now it. there's and an it's upcharge. it's more expensive in general. Right. Yeah. So, but people got used to, oh, just deliver it. So mm -hmm. it seemed that for a second, everyone got comfortable with, I've got to stay at home, do this. And so everyone got comfortable with a higher price yes. across the board. And then, like you said, at a certain point, it kind of caught. Got too it much. started catching up to everyone, and everyone's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Wait a minute! Yeah, I can't. I can't afford this." <laughs> Wasn't it like a year ago when <laughs> it was a lot cheaper? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know how much you do on like TikTok and stuff, but I, there's nothing. There, it's probably smart. Uh, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of like. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that are like. Hey, I'm looking at this price now, and last year it was this. Like, you know, what happened? Yeah. That's the, yeah. What happened? Well, what happened is we spent our money and they kept raising our prices and we kept spending. And then yep. now it's like, oh, we don't want to pay you any, we don't want to spend our money as much anymore. They're like, well, you, you were doing it this whole time. Yeah. They were, they, it's, it's business. Yep. That's what I mean. Like, that is one of the factors of it. It's a capitalist country. Like, that's how it's going to work. Yep. If there is an opportunity for business to charge consumers more, they're going to do it. Yep. It's it's foolish to think otherwise. So the Federal Reserve is trying to strong arm businesses to not do that. But will it work? Will, only time will tell. Right. Uh, now, I will say, going back to just mortgages and real estate in general, it, it is without a shadow of a doubt more difficult for a first time home buyer to purchase and to qualify than it was, yeah. Uh, which is one of, I mean, obviously that is a large obstacle for agents and lenders alike. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of agents leaving the leaving the field. They're, 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 they don't they don't they can't handle it or they don't want to handle it. It's just it's too much. There's a lot of lenders that are just like, nah, I, I, this isn't worth it. 
there's a lot of uh, banks that were so focused on refinance uh, in you know for so long and now it's just not even a thing uh, that they're no longer operating right yep that's that's happening that's gonna happen so Real quickly, I want to. Do you have any numbers on a 450 purchase price by any chance? I know we didn't talk about that one before. Uh, I could pull up my computer and run it within within a few minutes, but then I need like your Wi-Fi and stuff. I do not have numbers off. Okay. The only reason why I ask is because the kind of number that jumped to mind is usually purchase prices for homes were 30 to. In my mind, it was almost like assumed you're. You're going probably 30 to 50 over on some of these houses that you're being seen. Maybe not necessarily at the entry level, but it was kind of crazy across the board. So I think as far as when we're looking at this $700 difference in the purchase price, it used to be the rule of thumb that I was told was you're looking at about five to $600 of uh, payment per month based on 500 to 600 per 100,000 that you borrow. Mm, so now yeah. that we're looking at a $700 a month difference, we would be expecting that that would almost be like a $100,000 change if all things were eat. Basically, if we had the same interest rate as we had before. So, um, yeah, let me, hold on. Let me give, give me a moment. I can, I can work this out real quick. All right. So a 450 purchase price. Yep. Uh, are we doing 5% down still? Yep. Okay. 5% down. Do conventional financing, so the interest rate, I mean, the quick tangent, interest rates are not determined by the purchase price. They're determined by the loan to value right. or how much you put down. Uh, so a 450 and a 400 are going to have the same interest rates if you're putting 5% down on, on both options. Um, interest rates are also determined by credit score, type of property, and type of loan. Conventional, FHA, VA all have very different interest rates. I didn't say it earlier, but FHA is probably half a percent better than conventional. VA is probably half a percent better than FHA, just in just in general with the same credit score. Uh, VA VA interest rates are still quite good um, in comparison, especially in comparison to conventional. Now that that is an interesting point. I know it's a tangent, but that is an interesting point because in the last two years, when you had ninety offers, a seller would almost never take a VA buyer unless they were a veteran themselves. And then they might be like, I want to take a VA buyer. Yep. That was pretty rare though. Yep. So there was actually there was actually a point where I had to tell VA buyers, let's look into conventional. Yep. And VA is a great product. Zero percent down, no mortgage insurance. It is actually a great government product. Uh, and it sucks. It sucks that we had to do that. Like, you need to look into conventional or else you or else you won't get a house. You know, now uh, there's there's not as many offers per listing, so you know VA buyers are are in a bit of an advantage again. So that's that's pretty nice. Uh, so we're doing a six and a quarter rate. Look at this here. Oh wait, no, that's a down. All right, so a three hundred sixty or a 30-year term. Uh, what is Sorry about this, hold on, just take a moment. No worries. Because I think what I was trying to get at more as far as we've seen a lot of the balance come back to the market, so this 30 to 50 isn't happening anymore. 
So it's more to kind of try and illustrate a point as far as it's not the difference isn't probably as bad as that $700 a month if we were to look at it just apples to apples because the $400,000 house a year ago would have been usually more like a $430,000 to $450,000 house. So that changes yeah. the monthly payment. So if it was the $1,630 at $400, you might be a little, and that's just the principal and interest like we talked about earlier, that might be closer than to probably that 1800 in that $500 a month. Like once again, I don't want to pretend like that's a small amount of money, but at least it's smaller than the $700 a month. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's true. Uh, I think you make a good point to even look into it. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I got it here. The 450 purchase price, same interest rate, 6.25%. 5% down uh, would put you at a about a 2830 principal and interest payment compared to the 2340 yep so you're looking at about 500 bucks yep I don't know how quickly you could change it can you change that interest rate to 3.125 at the 450 sure yeah my bad I should have had some of those numbers a little no no I, I mean no I should have uh, uh, today was a, a started off a, a bit crazy with a with an appraisal situation so had to I, I would have came prepared with more numbers as well no worries all right so we're saying a 3.125 mm-hmm. like the difference between last year right yep all right so I'm not changing anything else. 450 purchase yep. price, five percent down. Seven hundred credit. Seven hundred credit. Um, Three point one two five in comparison to the uh, six point two five. Six point two five. Survey says okay. Um, and I was I was incorrect earlier. I'm sorry. I want to back up. Uh, I accidentally had in this calculator a two hundred dollar HOA. So that twenty eight thirty would have been twenty six thirty. Okay. Correct. And so it was actually only three hundred dollar difference between four hundred and four fifty. Okay. Uh, this three sorry a four fifty purchase price five percent down at three point one two five percent rate is eighteen thirty. So it's actually yeah, a, it's a smaller difference. It's a $200 difference at the smaller, uh, the lower points compared to the $300 difference at the higher. Yeah, which only thing I wanted to say with that was, no, I, I, I don't want to pretend that $200 is $700, but that does bring that $700 change down to more of like a $700 change for people. Yes. That 700 to a 500. So yes. as yes. far as from what people are looking at, just because... They, People get all price anchored into interest rates last year were three three percent. It's like people get fixated on the interest rates, right? It's but true. then it's also like, well, let's go look at the inventory because what you were having to bid was absolutely insane. So just kind of keeping yes. all things, if we were to keep all things fair, what we've seen probably from last from where we are right now to where we are last year is probably like a five hundred to a five hundred fifty dollar change in 
the monthly payment rather than the 700 yes agreed I, I, and I, I'm right there with you as well um, and I think honestly something important to note is because of the inventory and because what's happening in the market now that flip is causing uh, is giving buyers a lot more power yeah it is it is now a market to where uh, it, just simple example I have a, a buyer right now who uh, is in the opposite side that he would have been in last year he is waiting for uh, someone to put a contract or put an offer on his house that he's selling because he's contingent on his purchase he's already under contract for his purchase and they the sellers of that are totally fine waiting as long as it takes for that sale to go under contract yep that would never would have happened last year. Yep. Ever, ever. Right? That, that would just that would be impossible to get a deal like that. Yep. But in this case, there were no other offers on that that property. So this buyer, our, our buyer, has a purchase contract contingent on the sale, and he's waiting. Like they're just literally, it's kind of sitting in limbo until we get a contract for that sale. Right. Right. It's a, it's a different situation. Buyers now have, uh, if you are a well qualified buyer, if you have a well qualified buyer. They have more power, you know. Uh, we we now are back to the point where we can ask for seller credit. We can ask the seller to buy down the rate. We can, you know, there's you, you can put offers out and actually have an anticipation of like, yeah, we'll probably get this. You know, there's no other offers on the table, or yep. there's only one other offer on the table. You know, uh, your your competitive edge is not so doesn't have to be so aggressive yep. anymore. The the seller's strong arm is gone. The seller strong arm is gone. Exactly. So, and this goes to everything we saw in the last year and a half with things being so aggressive, and you have to just play play their game. Now, now it's going back to this is a relationship business. It goes back to yes. Hey, absolutely. You're you're in a tough position. We'll be flexible with you. We'll we'll we'll, we'll wait for your house to go under contract. We'll yeah. we'll let things go, and it's like. Instead of it being like, hey, I need money on the table right now. Otherwise, this guy gets it because, like, things are just clicking along. Like, yeah, ass. no, it's so. yeah, it's not that anymore. It's it's, it's completely uh, every agent, every lender, every buyer, and every seller are now adapting to the market yep. to be able to actually get business done. It is a full on adapting to the market. Yep. They're changing. Uh, a lot is changing. Um, yep. And then yeah. I think one of the things that people have been talking about in the real estate and lending world is that this 6% interest rate, it's not astronomically crazy. Oh, no. So, yeah, actually, yeah. actually, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, even in 2019, as I look back, the last, the last at least the time that I, I've been lending, in 2019, the, the interest rate was 5% pretty normally, 4%, 5%. Uh, a down payment assistance was five and a half, right? And now we're at seven percent. That's not a huge difference if you go back to twenty nineteen, right? Right. It twenty twenty is where down payment assistance was four and a half, four point two five, right? Like same rate, three percent, two point. I was doing. I did a loan at two point one two five percent. I think I actually did a loan at one point nine nine once too, but uh, I don't remember if we ended up sticking to that because uh, he bought. Uh, he was buying down the rate to that. I don't remember if he stuck down, stuck, stuck it to that or not. 
But um, I do remember I actually, uh, that, that particular buyer has recently asked me like, hey, what about a cash out refinance? And I'm like, I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> he's, he's like, well, why not? I'm like, well, because you have a 2.125% interest rate and now you have a, a, at that point, I think it was like 5.75. So I don't think you want to go up that, that no, high in your interest yeah. rate. Your, your payment's going to skyrocket. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. But we looked into it and it didn't make sense to him. Yeah. Which and it's insane. Which, and like we talked about, and what a lot of people have talked about, is the hard part is both numbers almost doubled when you look at the median purchase price yes. and, the, and the interest rate. Yes. So it's if it was one or the other, it's one thing, but no, yeah. it gets rough when both values the and time. interest rate are increasing. So people, yep. it, it, a big obstacle to first time home buyers is, like I said earlier, you mentioned that monthly payment and they're just like, oh, yep. I, I can't, I don't think I can do that. Yep. <laughs> So, and I think as far as we've kind of I agree. <laughs> had a dark, stormy cloud over this conversation of yeah. things have gone up and it's been crazy. <laughs> but if I were to try and throw a silver lining on it, if we were to look at if if we were to look at the Arizona market in general, and obviously we don't have a crystal ball that we can look into and say, hey, what's going to happen in six months? What's going to happen in a year? Because obviously with the rates going up, if business is going to slow down, then hey, it is what it is. But um we do have a lot. We have, I think it was over a hundred thousand jobs that have been added to the Arizona market in a year. Arizona's killing it. Yep, um, for sure. The average wages have increased quite considerably. Yes. So this is where, when we look at the numbers and say, "Hey, it's rough for the people who have been in Arizona for a long time," you're scratching your head, going, "What is going on?" Yes. For us being the fourth uh, largest city in the United States. We were well behind uh, a lot of these other states as far as cost of living, as far as income. So it's, no one likes change. And yes, yeah. in some ways, someone came and shook the anthill. But um, from here on out, it's like, we, we are playing with a new game as far as, okay, if people do have the income to be able to support buying some of these houses, it's like houses, are, sti houses are still being sold. Yes, they slowed down recently, yeah. but the numbers I believe for about um, for anything that went under contract about a month ago that closed, we had about 1,200 last week that closed. Yes. So if you were to multiply that out over a month, you're looking at, was that 4,800 homes closing in a month? 1,200, yeah. So houses are still moving. People are still buying, they're still selling. It's just not the absolute pandemonium as it was before. So in as much right. as we wanna say, hey, it's a $500 change, yes, that is drastic, there's um, it's shocking is what it is. Yeah, it's it, shocking. It, it's, there's shock factor there, but it's not impossible. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you, you hit the nose right on the head. It's the nail right on the, the, nail right on the head. <laughs> <laughs> don't, know, uh, don't know where my brain was at that one, but <laughs> hey. Um, yeah, it, 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 the market seems really rough. This is a, is a time where people are scared. I totally get it. People say they want to wait. They're afraid. No, this is this. There's actually still a lot of good things happening, and in Arizona is a good market, especially compared to others. So, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of silver lining there, I think. And it's, I think there's also going to be a change in the way that people look at how home home ownership goes, as far as there's people who are, if they're doing That's it. That's a very good point. I know that there's a client that I have. It's two brothers who are buying a house together. Yep. There's I know 
I know of another situation where some family members are going in together on stuff. Yep. So co-signers, co-signing is, is definitely uh, more common than it used to be, yep. for sure. So even if it's, hey, we're, if it's family members going to buy a house together if they're young, and then once they increase in their wages, build their careers to be able to step out and if sell that house, split the proceeds, buy their own houses, whatever down the line, it's once again, necessity is the mother of invention. Yes, so it's true. I mean, well, and also though, uh, real estate is still the best investment. I mean, you're, you're talking like if you can if you can get you know a co- your brother to co-sign with you, sweet, go go buy a house. That's yep. a good investment. Turn it yep. into investment property one day. You're still seeing a lot of investors park money in real estate. Yes, and it's the way that they're able to do it does change from how someone would traditionally be able to do it because if they can get into some of these, um, I forget the term for it. Uh, multi-unit? No, not the multi-unit, but um, like when you have 100 investors come together, it's a- Hedge fund? Yeah, hedge fund, hedge fund a syndicate. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So okay. same thing, but as far as if you can have basically a that bunch idea. of people put um, money in a pool together as far as if they're able to buy houses cash, obviously they're avoiding that interest rate. They can bank on the right, appreciation right, right. rentals, stuff like that. So right. we're seeing money still flow into real estate. Oh, absolutely. So it's... It's still the best investment. Yep, and like probably, I don't know, dirty analogy would be to say like, when the ship is about to go down, the rats jump off the ship. And I'm not calling investors rats or hedge fund managers rats or anything like that. But <laughs> but it's... Um, I didn't say it. <laughs> uh, the, money, the money's still going into Hedge funds estate. have already started pulling out buying up properties. Oh, really? Well, then maybe we're... Maybe Within we're the last few it. weeks. Um, yeah, it's, it's... Investors are still there, uh, but it's not as much as people think. Right. There, there's still plenty of real estate for you and I to go. Purchase, yeah, it, it's know? not that they're buying it exclusively. All I'm saying is that not everyone is dumping all their properties because the housing they anticipate right. the housing market is about to crash. No. So, yeah, we're seeing a shift as far as the aggressiveness is not the same as it was before because things were like, oh, my gosh, jump in while it's... Well, yeah, that was jumping while the money. Yeah, of course. And like I said, business—that's how it's done. Right. But no, you make a very good point. And hedge funds and properties are not dumping out the properties; they're they're owned assets because there's not a there's not a reason to believe there's going to be a housing market crash. A lot of people are afraid of this. Yep. And we're gonna start a major tangent here, so we probably shouldn't. But uh, no, there's there's. There's reason to believe that the economy is is going to struggle, sure. There's even reason to believe that values are going to decrease a little bit, but that does not mean there's going to be a housing market crash. It just doesn't, that doesn't add up. Right. And the thing I keep telling everyone is that if there's gonna be a crash, I anticipate it in a different market. And yes. if it's a large enough market, obviously large markets affect neighboring markets. So as far as we saw 2008, housing market crash, so the stock market was affected because of it. Right. With, if the stock market were to have a crash, the housing market will most likely it, it would be affected be because of it, sure. because jobs, all that stuff. But it's to say like, everyone's expecting 2008 to be on playback right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, that's not what we're looking nope. at. Nope, that just does it. There's no reason to believe that. There's a There's been so much put in place to prevent something like that ever happening again. And it won't ever happen again in that way. There will be struggle for certain people, certain businesses, so on and so forth, as any economy is going to have. 
at pretty much any time. Yep. That's silly to say otherwise. This is a difficult time in the particular housing market uh, because it was such a switch. And, you know, there's just people don't have money right now. Credit scores were impacted over the over COVID. Money was spent. You know, I, I can't tell you how many buyers I speak to that don't have a lot of money saved, which is totally fine. It's understandable. It's it's not it's not a bad thing not to have money saved, but it's not a good thing not to have money saved either. Right. Right. And yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be difficult to buy a house if down payment assistance isn't there. If you don't have money saved, you're not gonna be able to buy a house. So that that's where the struggle comes in. Yes. Yeah. It just. It, uh, you know, A plus B equals C. That's just how it works. Right. <laughs> so I know you crossed the hour mark. You still got a little bit, or do you got to bounce? No, no, that's, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to leave until five, actually. Uh, that means we've got about, was that two hours? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, Ask away. Let's, yeah. let's, what, what else? What else is on your mind? Well, let's just go as far as like we anticipate. Obviously, we're looking at people are going to buy houses, people are going to sell houses. So, uh, what is a lot of people are very, ignorant to the fact of what happens when you're going to buy a house so okay just asking the question what does a loan application look like sure and let's just or the life of uh, a loan so let's start from application and let's go to when it's sold on the secondary market or the maintenance of a loan all right so let's I guess let's start with the process this is, this is it's fun it's fun for me this is this is my job uh, let's just go from Starting A, I get a call from Thaddeus here, and he says, hey, uh, I got a, someone who's interested in buying. Um, they need to talk to you. Great. I pick up the phone. I call him. We start an application. Application consists of many factors, but there are some important factors and then some uh, less important, but you know, in eventually important. The, the most important factor is obviously name, date of birth, social security number, your personal information, your employment information that's what we go through you know where do you work tax how records. long have you worked there uh you know i'm actually going to bring that up because we don't always need tax records uh well yeah how, how how you think of it uh important personal information that's boom just that's very important that's the start of it then we talk about employer where do you work how long do you work there uh we need a 24-month work history we need a 24-month residence history um every borrower would go through the same same situation there. Uh, let's say, you know, um, myself, work at Fairway, been working at Fairway for over two years. There's your 24-month work, work history. Let's say I started last year to get a 24-month work history. I would ask, where did you work before Fairway, right? I worked at Snooze. All right, how long did you work there? Uh, five years, great. So that's your 24-month work history. Um, there are exceptions in, in uh, or sorry, I should say there are gaps of work that we have to consider in certain products. FHA cannot have a six-month gap unless you've been on your current job for over six months, so on and so forth. We look at the, that gap. We actually look at time worked. If you have a gap that doesn't count into your 24-month work history. Um, don't know if that made a lot of sense. I think I went pretty quick there, but keep going. Uh, after we talk about employer, we talk about your income, hourly, salary, commission, uh, do you get overtime? You know, we ask all those questions. Um, we break down your income, uh, whether that is you just started. Uh, let's say you have a te let's say a teacher, a teacher. You have a contract that starts in August. I would look at that contract. It says fifty thousand a year. Great, that's your income, fifty thousand a year. I have a, literally a contract right there. It says you're going to make fifty thousand dollars for the year. 
That's super easy. Um, the part where it gets a little hairy is self-employed, uh, like that is here is agents self-employed. So for any agent or any self-employed borrower, whether you're 1099, you own your own business, your own LLC or whatever, uh, that's where tax returns, tax records really come into play. To calculate your income, we need to calculate that income from your tax records. So if you are a self-employed employee or self-employed business owner and you don't file your taxes in, uh, in a way that actually promotes a high net profit, then you're not going to have a lot of profit or you're not going to have a lot of income for a mortgage calculation. If you write everything in your life off, you're not going to have Cameron a is going to look there. at you and say, you have made no money. So, okay, I have an example of that one. Um, I worked with a, 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 a personal trainer, and he was he was a big deal, right? Uh, big he, deal. <laughs> uh, he uh, he bragged about how big he really was. Uh, <laughs> that's when you know someone is not a big deal. That's, that's fair. But he 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 particularly he did actually make a lot of money. He he trained uh, he trained people for Mr. Olympia, which I'm not sure if you know what Mr. Olympia yep. is, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's it's a, a convention of Vegas, you know, uh, strongman, all that kind of stuff, right? His last name? Um, no, let's not do that. <laughs> uh, no, I was about to guess what it was. was no. We can edit it out. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, no, but so did, did he train a lot of champions? Uh, he only he only bragged about one. So okay, all right. I'm not, not sure. Not the guy I'm thinking. Okay. Good. Not sure. But basically, so <laughs> if I looked at his bank statements, he was making ten to $12,000 take-home per month, right? His actual like take-home uh, income would have been, it was over $100,000. And it was like 100, 118 or something like that, right? Wow, it was great. So when we first went to the application, when I asked him, how much do you make, right? His answer was over 100000 Awesome. Put 100000 That's great. Now let's actually calculate the income by using tax returns. He was 1099. Uh, when you are calculating income from a 1099, you cannot include deductions, right? Uh, certain write-offs we cannot include as income. As you might imagine, deductions and expenses aren't considered income, yep. right? That's, those are expenses. Uh, he wrote everything off. As a personal trainer, he was able to, right? He was able to write off pretty much every meal. He traveled everywhere his clothes everything like everything he purchased he was able to write off and it's it's totally reasonable because yep. his whole job was going to people's houses and training them yep and all day right so he was able to write off pretty much everything uh his calculatable income was 391 dollars a month oh so he had a take home an actual realistic take home of over a hundred thousand dollars and his calculatable income was 391 dollars a month that's insane Right, that the story, the moral of the story is yes, Thaddeus is right. If you write everything off, that's not a lot of income. The the you know because we can't use write-offs and deductions and expenses as income. Self-employed borrowers, in my opinion, get the shaft. They they work very hard, and they the mortgage calculation doesn't really help them out most of the time. There are special specialized products, something called a bank statement product, for example. Uh, where I could have uh, used gone 12, 24 months of bank statements for this guy and calculated the income that way. But those products, it's technically not a conventional loan. Uh, it has a higher minimum down payment requirement, higher credit score requirement, so on and so forth. It doesn't fit everybody. Um, but anyway, go, th you know, go back to the application. 
if you're self-employed, we then if you tell me you're self-employed, uh, I would start asking questions like not just how much you make, but what's your actual profit? Do you have a CPA? You know, do you uh, are you 1099? Um, are you Schedule C? There's a lot of questions there, and if any of you are these, you would know what I'm saying. If you're not, you would be like, I don't. What's a Schedule C? Right? Yep. Say, then you're not Schedule C. Yep. You don't know what it is. You don't. You're, you're not. That's that's no problem. Um, and then after we kind of break down income, uh, then I break down assets. And one of the biggest, uh, I guess, not pet peeve, but like frustrations that that I go through is I'll go and I'll say like, how much money do you have saved? And people will just be like, oh, I got thirty thousand dollars saved. Awesome. How's that breaking down? Oh, uh, well, you know. 20,000 of it is in retirement or uh, I'm getting a gift of $20,000 or whatever. It's like, okay, so it's not 30,000 saved. It's, it's, you have, you have $5,000 saved and then we have more money that we have to figure out what to do with because in retirement funds, sometimes you can't pull all that money out as a first time home buyer. Sometimes you can, depending on the servicer, uh, there are rules on how much you can pull out at one time. But if you're a first time home buyer, you can pull out, uh, you know, with certain tax-free money uh, for buying a first home. Uh, my wife and I did it. We pulled out quite a bit of money for from uh, our 401k to be able to buy that house, and it was, it was tax-free because it was our first home. There are rules that allowed for that. Um, once we break down assets, I would go through like, okay, so these are the documents that we need to solidify everything. Basically, at that point, I would need to have a document to solidify everything that's in that file, right? And I'm talking as simple as your name and date of birth, I need your driver's license. Your uh, income, I need your pay stubs and your W-2s. Your work history, your W-2s. Um, your residence history, uh, well, that'd be on your driver's license typically or your pay, and your pay stubs and, and W-2s and so on and so forth. Um, your assets and your bank statements so on and so forth. So the documents are literally to solidify and verify income, assets, and personal information. Very simple. Other major piece is we pull credit. Uh, for a mortgage loan, you have to have your credit pulled, and it is a hard inquiry. We, you know, uh, Every lender would do this. It is a tri-merge, it's called a full tri-merge credit report or credit pull. Um, and that's where we look at all three, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, all three bureaus, we take the mid score, not the lower, the high, but the mid. And the reason we do that is because oftentimes one bureau will report something that the others don't, or two bureaus will report something that the others that the other doesn't, so on and so forth. So you might, I, and I've seen it often, you might see three scores: a 700, a 700, and a 500. Whoa, what, what what's going on there? And that's because maybe that one bureau that's scoring the 500 has something on there that the other two doesn't. Maybe it's not supposed to be there. Maybe it is supposed to be there and the others don't see it. Whatever, it doesn't matter. We take the mid score because of that. Um, and every lender does do the same. That is, that's industry standard. Uh, once we pull credit and we talk about the documents, then I would literally ask for documents. So if you have those documents ready in hand, then we can get you pre-qualified pretty quickly. I can, if, if as a buyer, if you had your W-2s, your pay stubs, your bank statements, 
literally ready in a file on your computer, ready to send right away, and we were on the phone, and you sent them to me while we were on the phone, I could probably pre-qualify you while still on the phone in that first phone call. It'd be really quick. It's Those documents are everything. I need to verify all the, you know, the information with the documents. What we do is we do what's called uh, automated underwriting. I'm sure you're familiar, you mm-hmm. know you're familiar with this. Uh, the the term is is referred to in the lending world and, and potentially a, uh, the real estate world as well is uh, AUS or automated underwriting system. There are two major systems. There's DU and LP desktop underwriter and loan prospector. Uh, and we basically run this file and we put all this information in the file and we have the documents in the file and we run this uh, file, all this information through this automated underwriting system and literally what it does is it reads all the information and puts it right next to all the guidelines of the product that you choose. So if I'm doing an FHA loan, uh, then I choose FHA and it literally takes all of that information and it reads, up, reads it up against FHA's guidelines. Uh, if everything check, 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 you know, go, goes through every, it goes through it. And if everything checks out, then we get an approve eligible. And then we say, okay, that means you have underwriting approval, except it's automated underwriting approval. Uh, so you are free to house hunt at that point. Uh, that is, and only that's an a big thing on our side, as far as you can have someone come in to some lenders or I'll say just depending on the establishment, I won't get into anything. Uh, but if they were to ask more just based on, like like Cameron said, with the questions to say, hey, how much money do you make? And if there's not the verification or the digging into things, I can get a pre-qualification on my side that says, oh, hey, they're good to go hunting, house hunting at 400000 And then once we go under contract, then they ask for all the documents. And that's when we find out, oh, unfortunately, <laughs> you're... Unfortunately, you don't make that much. Right. So <laughs> that's where it becomes... Some of this stuff we're nerding out for our industry, right? but it's the reason why it's important to have those documents up front is when we're verifying who you are, your employment, and all the assets is we're trying to shortcut a lot of the issues that someone might future, have yeah. yep, once we go under contract because Absolutely. that is that's it's, the it, biggest it's, headache. It's bad, it's bad business to yep. do it the other way. Yep. And there are, there are plenty of lenders, there are plenty of agents as well that... Uh, care so much about getting that contract that they don't care about having everything done up front. Yep. The more you get done up front, the more you can really solidify and and uh, just have all your ducks in a row, basically. The better your loan, the better your purchase, the better the transaction is going to be, the smoother yep. it's going to go. Uh, so like me personally, I will not uh, give a pre-qualification form to an agent in regards to a certain buyer unless I have those documents. Yep. It just it it's bad business to do otherwise. Yep. You you're just you're putting yourself in a bad situation. You're putting the buyer in a bad situation. You're putting the agent in a situation. At least coming from me. And the agent you're putting the buyer, putting the lender, putting the other agent, like it's just it's a mess at that point. So yep. it, yeah. So we've got someone, they've got all the documents for you. We've got the pre qualification. Yep. We go find a house, we go under contract. Yeah. And what's next? All right. So we got a contract. Uh, first thing is we have to do uh, we have to play compliance with federal compliance rules, and we have to disclose 
the loan or disclose the financing uh, to the buyer. So we have a contract in hand that means we can lock in your loan uh, to a specific interest rate. And these days, it is not really wise to float the market is what it's called, where you wait to lock until the market suits you. Uh, no, as soon as you get a contract, you lock in the rate. An interest rate lock is tied to a property address and a borrower's name and, and social and stuff. Uh, so once I have an address, once I have a contract and I have an address, I can lock in a rate. Um, it's definitely wise to lock it in as soon as you can. Um, we have a contract, we lock in your rate, we disclose the loan. And by disclosing, all we're doing is we, per federal compliance, we have to send you as a buyer all of the information we have on you. That's what it is, right? We're literally sending you all this information. It's literally like 65 pages of documents that you have to sign, uh, these initial disclosures that say, this is who you are. It gives the whole application. It's called a 1003 is, is what the application's called. It gives you that whole 1003, gives you all this information. We have to, we have to disclose a home buying toolkit uh, per federal compliance. We have to disclose the uh, current loan estimate, which can definitely change. Um, especially at the beginning of a loan, you could be talking about, oh, this buyer wants to put 5% down and they're not going to get from their parents. But let's say in two weeks, their parents like, actually, we're going to give you some money. And then that 5% down becomes 10% down. The whole loan changed and that's totally fine. Uh, the disclosures are just to start working on the loan. Uh, per federal compliance, we as a lender, any bank cannot work on a buyer's loan until those initial disclosures are signed. You're literally giving us permission to work on your loan. You're not agreeing to uh, work with us. You're not agreeing to any of the terms in those disclosures. You're just saying, I see the information you're disclosing. You have my permission to work on the loan. Uh, that's the first step. And it's really crucial because many times a buyer will slow play those initial disclosures by saying, oh, I, don't, I don't like that rate. Okay, uh, that's fine. We can float the market, wait for a better rate perchance, or you can buy down the rate or whatever. There could be other options. Uh, but we can't do anything until you sign those disclosures. We're literally just at, at a standstill. Uh, a lender cannot move forward until those disclosures are signed. Uh, there has been many a times where I, we had to speed up processes somewhere else because a buyer uh, was afraid to sign the disclosures at the beginning. So it's important to get those you know goes those done or, you know quickly. Uh, once the disclosures are signed, then if the loan officer did everything up front right, then really the buyer at that point just kind of sits back and waits. Uh, you know, the buyer will sign stuff from the title company, the buyer will sign stuff from the agents most likely, uh, different documents here and there, the title company will ask for information so they can get a title commitment report and whatnot. You have to shop homeowner's insurance. Um, and I definitely recommend shopping homeowner's insurance. I think it's important to try to get the lower a lower rate uh, a lower premium, so on and so forth. I say that because a lot of people are, you know, a, a big uh, response I get with homeowners insurance is, well, my car insurance is with Geico uh, or Progressive or whatever, so I'm going to use my homeowners insurance there too. It's like, that's fine, no problem. They might save you money on bundling, but you might be able to work with this other homeowners insurance company that will save you, you know, $100 a month with that homeowners insurance policy. So, like, right. definitely look into it. Um, and uh, so, so on and so forth. Uh, but a, a buyer, as a buyer, after you get those initial disclosures signed, you shouldn't be doing much. What we're doing at that point is we are processing your loan. 
we're reaching out for a verification of employment. We're getting title, uh, the title commitment from the title company. Uh, we're ordering the appraisal, depending on the, the in, you know, inspection period and how that works. Uh, and then we'll reach out to you saying, okay, this is what we need for underwriting if there's anything we need. So that's why I say if, if the loan officer did everything up front, they're not going to reach out to the buyer and say we need anything because everything's there. Right. Then we go into underwriting. At this point, it might be a week after the initial disclosures are signed. We can get things done pretty quickly. Um, at least our team can. Uh, underwriting goes through. They review everything. And then they will give us a list of conditions. Maybe conditions will be the appraisal. The appraisal's not done yet. That's a condition. Uh, maybe the title work's not done yet. That would be a condition. Um, maybe there is a question on the credit report. Uh, maybe an address showed up that we didn't have in, in the 1003. So the underwriting would say, hey, what's this address? How long do you live there? Whatever. Uh, they might ask the borrower some questions like that. And so then we would uh, approach the borrower and say, here's the underwriting conditions. Any that pertain to you some of a lot of the conditions are back end or you know behind the behind the curtain if you will um, that we deal with that the borrower wouldn't deal with um, such as an appraisal or title work uh, and then you know if it's really easy maybe an updated pay stub could be a condition right uh, or updated assets then we get what we need we send it back into underwriting we get our final approval get our clear to close um, and once we have our clear to close we send docs to title Title reaches out to the buyer to sign documents. Documents are signed. At that point, depending on the timing, it's the lender, you know, Fairway would give the authorization to fund. Title says okay and pushes the record button with Maricopa County and then boom, or whatever county you're in, and record at the county and then you get your keys. Nice. That's so, for to kind of go back through it, basically, you're going to find out who they are, where they're working what kind of assets they have, verify all with documents at the beginning, uh, do a credit inquiry. At that point, they get a pre-qualification. Yep. We go shopping for homes. After that, we go under contract. They're gonna, you're gonna rate, uh, lock in that rate right away. At least at this time, yes. Yep, uh, do a disclosure signing so that you guys can start working on that. Yep. Bunch of pages for them to look through. And from that point on, there's gonna be uh, underwriters, that are the underwriter approval that you guys need. Yep any issues that they push back on, get right. those addressed, and then once that's done, the loan can be funded. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. I mean, yeah, there. I mean, there's gonna be disclosures for the buyer to sign, there's a closing disclosure, there might be a, a loan estimate, depending on the timing uh, and whatnot, but yeah, it's all pretty simple at that point. If the, if, if the lender has done their job right and the loan officer is really pushed for the right documents up front, then a buyer will, I can guarantee it will, it will not feel uh, like a very stressful process. Yep. It'll be quite smooth. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I know that we've spent a lot of time together, so we'll wrap up with some questions real quickly. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, what's the most impactful thing you've learned? Uh, personally, it's be um, upfront and honest with people. I, I, I highly value uh, transparency and like I will be fully upfront with you this monthly payment is gonna be X amount and that's well more than what you said you wanted to spend so what do you want to do you know just be very upfront uh, I think that's very important and that's why we talked about interest rates and monthly payments that's it uh, <laughs> what's your favorite movie um, see okay uh, this is hard I love movies um, but 
the nostalgia of uh, like I grew up on Star Wars movies those were my favorite I wasn't a huge fan of the Obi-Wan show but you know <laughs> that's a thing there whatever <laughs> uh, your first character strength that comes to mind uh, this one was also hard I would say positivity I think it's very important to stay positive and um, calm family's favorite dinner spot Chick-fil-A my daughter loves it. She loves the French fries, and she <laughs> loves the chicken nuggets. She's only two, and if we go to Chick-fil-A, it's her favorite place. So, yeah. Where can people contact you or follow what you guys are doing? Uh, we check out our website at the Tobias Group, www.thetobiasgroup.com. Um, I would, uh, if you want my phone number, uh, can I give it? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. My phone number is 602-717-7356. I guess it probably said that in the, <laughs> phone, in the microphone. Uh, I'll say that one more time. It's 602-717-7356. Thank you so much. Uh, email Cameron at thetobiasgroup.com. Please reach out. I'd love to help out in any of your questions. Even if you already have a lender and you're not looking to shop, which I think you should. Uh, I don't just, think you should. You should just go to Cameron and call it a day. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you get to me, you're going to find better better options. That's how it's going to work. Uh, you know, reach out. I, I, I personally highly value education, and I like it. It's very important to me that you know what you're doing because when I bought my first house before I got into lending, I had no idea what was happening, and it was really, really nice and helpful that uh, the lender walked through things. Not a, lenders, not a lot of lenders do, and they don't explain things very well, um, but I would love to the opportunity to explain your you know things to you as you have questions. Any social that you want to plug? At the moment, uh, I am I'm not super well on social, and I need to I need to change that obviously. But uh, we do have our um, our so like the team social sites, and off the top of my head, it's just TTG, the Instagram, TTG, Facebook, so so on and so forth. Cool. All right. Well. Thank you for coming on. Thank talking you. Talking about the market, all that fun stuff. <laughs> it was a lot of fun stuff. <laughs> all right, that's all we have for today. But if you like the show, please subscribe, tell a friend, and until next time, I hope your hammer stays accurate, your Wi-Fi fast, and you work blessed. See you, everybody.